Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Indie Football Podcast. Uh, I am Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and I am here for another weekend of... Some interesting football action in the Premier League, but first of all, uh, I should probably introduce our guest for today. Uh, to my left, returning to the Indie Football Podcast for the first time since what must be November, I guess. It is Chief Sports Writer of the Independent, Jonathan Liu. Johnny, welcome we back. Is this just the rehearsal? Or no, this is, no, this is oh, it. Oh, this is the real thing. This Hello. Hi, everyone. Uh, how was Australia? Did you enjoy yourself? It was, if, if anything, it was a little bit too hot at times. There were times when the weather got to like 28, 29, and, and uh, I mean... And, uh, yeah, I mean... Got a little bit clammy. If you're looking for sympathy, you're probably talking to the wrong room. But otherwise, in, interesting sporting action. Did you catch any A-League soccer while you were there? No, there was a lot of A-League going on while I was there. I did play a football match uh, on the, the Perth FC pitch uh, with against a local side who, who were actually surprisingly handy and didn't try to... to to pick the ball up and, and kick it um, once. Aussie rules football. Do you, you watch any of that? Uh, I think that's an interesting sport. You're not, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to throw it. You have to like punch the ball. Yeah, you basically you have to punch it or, or kick it, uh, and you're not allowed to run it. It's it's one of the very few sports about which I know absolutely nothing. But it's, it's actually huge there. And, and the thing I like most about Aussie rules is, you know, when they um, <clears throat> when they kick the ball through the post and the umpire does that little hand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. hand thing. Uh, and like a fraction before he does that, all the beard up blokes in the front row go like, how big's your dick? The wit of the Australians never ceases to amaze. Uh, and uh, the wit of our following guest also never ceases to amaze. Jack Pitbrook, welcome back. Thanks, Ed. Hope you're well. Uh, where, where were you this weekend? Uh, I was at Southampton 1, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Thriller? Uh, no, it was terrible, actually. It was one of the worst I've seen Spurs play in months. Uh, Christian Eriksen not playing. Yeah, I mean, taking Eriksen out of the team is basically to lobotomize Tottenham. Like, there's they've got he, he's a bit like David Silver at City. Like, he make he kind of directs everyone and tells them what to do. Take him out, they're a bit clueless. And Sissoko, like, is putting Sissoko in for Christian Eriksen is the exact opposite of a like for like replacement. Harry Kane steals their lines, but they are a one man team only in terms of Christian Eriksen. Fair? No, not really. No, but I um, think it was. Um, okay, excellent, Johnny. Uh, you were. Arsenal versus Crystal Palace, um, which was the biggest win of the weekend. And I, I kind of guess with everything floating around the club and Alexis Sanchez's imminent departure, if that hasn't even been confirmed by the time you're listening to this, uh, talk to us about that opening 22 minutes. Well, it was uh, delightful to watch. There was a time, even when Arsenal were doing quite badly under Wenger, when they, they, were, they would occasionally just blow teams apart in the first 15, 20 minutes. And it was almost kind of a throwback in a way. And after all the the angst and the agonising, it just felt quite quite fun to be there, which is not something you could say at the Emirates for a while. What was the atmosphere like, kind of before kickoff? Was it did it did it feel any different? You know, was it like you know they are losing their best player to traditionally one of their most hated or least liked rivals of the last twenty years. Um, 
they're going to get Henrik Mkhitaryan in, in exchange, which is something we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, did it feel any different or was it just the, the usual Arsenal home game, a bit of hubbub? Well, yeah, on, on a knife edge, I guess. There, there's there's always been a sort of, well, over the last 6, 12, 18 months, there's, there's always been a, a, a slight tension. Like, you're basically just one th- bad thing away from, you know, everything you know, falling to pieces. So, you know, first couple of goals go in and suddenly everybody, you, you kind of feel this collective declenching. Oh, mm. hang on, everything's going to be okay. And then obviously three and four and, and you know, it's party time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, they're, I, I feel they're very good at home, Arsenal. They're, I always fancy them at home because they do play kind of this more confident, expansive game at the Emirates than they seem to anywhere else. It's just, a, I guess it's just a mental thing. Um, Palace were were pretty poor considering their good run. Um, anything particular to report? Just Palace were very good for most of the game. Were they? Yeah. They were, once they kind of... Uh, went 4-0 no, down. Once they went 4-0 down, and this is the thing, it could it could easily have been, you know, you're thinking, is is the 9-0 against Ipswich in, in, in 1995, is that under threat? And they actually, they looked like a proper team. They basically looked like Hodgson's Palace for the last hour of the game. Uh, what happened in the, those first... 22 minutes I have no real idea because it basically came out of nowhere just this inability to defend set pieces James MacArthur just letting the ball go through his legs and people losing their markers and uh you know people not jumping for balls which were clearly within reach it's um that meltdown I think Palace might just be able to write that off as just kind of a bad 22 minutes at the office because they did rally so well in the second half I think I mean it's probably quite a tight they've got one of the thinnest squads in the league I think because they just over successive windows have thinned out the bench to the extent that the bench is terrible so all the same players have been playing consistently throughout the festive period they might sign three players this week though I think so um, that might turn around Sanchez kind of hung over the game without them obviously without him they played rather well are you intrigued to see, and I remember you wrote something about Henrik Mkhitaryan being uh, a caged bird under Jose Mourinho. That must have been in like October, November. Uh, I seem to think that he might fit in quite well at Arsenal. He he will do in, in certain respects. He's, he's He is a kind of 2013 Arsenal type player. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a quick attacking midfielder who can play little passes in the final third. I think he's he'll have a lot of work to do on... Uh, basically keeping possession a bit more. Because I, th- I think even at, at Dortmund, he's, he was always... He would always try things and, and occasionally be slightly wasteful. And, and kind of what I've written about today, about, you know, Sanchez and Arsenal, is that Arsenal, for, for a, a possession side, actually spent quite a lot of the last few years indulging a player who loses possession a lot. And Sanchez does lose the ball a lot because he tries stuff and, he, you know, he tries one-on-ones and... and the thing that Mkhitaryan will have to do quite quickly is slot into this, you know, these little quick interchanges. That fourth goal that, that Arsenal scored, the Lacazette goal, was like 30, 40 passes. Uh, he's got he's to slot into that rhythm quite quickly. But Mkhitaryan will basically be the long-term replacement for Ozil. So when Ozil goes in the summer, because I mean, ultimately they need to replace Ozil and Sanchez. They haven't replaced Sanchez really yet because they need another kind of explosive forward. But Mkhitaryan will be able to do Ozil's job as well as anyone. Um, which actually should hopefully make the transition a bit easier for them into next season. The guy they're definitely after, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, I don't personally like the numbers in this deal. I think he's, it's expensive for a guy of his age. Um, there are question marks about the attitude, the way he's behaved over the last year or so. 
at Dortmund. Um, do you have any view? I mean, he's obviously a good striker, you know, objectively a good striker, but it seems like a lot of money for a guy, as say, who's nearing 30 and, and perhaps hasn't necessarily done it for over the last year. I think year. he's a great player, Aubameyang, but I think that I don't really know how him and Lacazette will play together. Like, I mean, he's he's obviously much better than Lacazette. Um, and it makes you think, well, what's going to... I mean, is Lacazette going to be on su- going to be a sub now? Like, a guy they spent £53 million on. Or would you play would you play Aubameyang out wide in that 4-3-3? Uh, I guess, obviously, uh, you know, they've got enough games that they would need like more than one striker but I uh, as Wenger played 4-4-2 any time in the last like decade I can't remember him you know similarly I, I guess it's we actually had this conversation yesterday about uh, Man United and how they're going to fit in Alexis Sanchez where do you think Alexis Sanchez will fit in in Jose Mourinho's team do you think they'll just play him on on the right I think I'll probably uh, I'd imagine probably on the left of the front three in that kind of Martial Rashford role so it's bad news for those two. Yeah, although maybe maybe in time he'll come to replace Lukaku and play through the middle in certain circumstances. In games where they're expecting to be dominant, like, for example, against Man City. I, yeah. I think it, it would be an interesting one to play Sanchez as the centre-forward just because they're going to have a slightly different look on the break. Um, any other post-Sanchez thoughts on Arsenal? Johnny, how do you think this is all going to shake out? Well, but, I mean, personally, um, I am... I'm not convinced that it's it's the disaster for Arsenal that, that everybody's portraying it out. There's a lot of history of clubs selling their best player, their star player, and going on to thrive. I mean, Atletico basically did it five or six years yeah, in yeah, a row. Repeated, yeah. uh, you know, Sevilla, Benfica, you know, all, all these clubs have basically made an existence out of constant renewal. And if you if you look at the way Sanchez played over the last you know, six, 12 months, Arsenal were increasingly beginning to play his game rather than him playing theirs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I suppose what we saw during those first 20 minutes against Palace was a return to that that old free-flowing passing Arsenal. bit more patient, but uh, a little bit better to watch, I guess. Do you think there's like a, a slight difference because they're not really getting full value out of selling him? Because when you sell like a key player, like a massive player, so... Atletico Madrid sell uh, like Falcao and they sold him for, for huge money. But Arsenal aren't getting a massive return for a player who's wor- who was worth a lot to them. But you think stylistically because it'll allow them to return to that thing where you know the ball moves faster than a player running with the ball. You think that that's going to be a significant upgrade for them? Kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think we all basically agreed that Arsenal aren't going to pull up any trees while Wenger is still there and, and you know until yeah completely unfortunately so yes. the best they can really expect while Wenger is still there and until they have you know the, the opportunity for a massive upheaval is you know they can play slightly better stuff and they can they can just occasionally rip teams apart like like they did on Saturday that's I think the outside of their ambitions at the moment and the fact that Mkhitaryan's coming in and you know a nice creative another another number 10 as it were uh actually I think moves them closer in that direction than keeping hold of a very disgruntled Sanchez would have done. The other big story of the weekend, I guess, apart from that transfer, is uh, Watford, who lost 2-0 at Leicester City and then uh, got rid of Marco Silva. So probably October, November, we were here talking about Marco Silva potentially being a guy who could step up and become a top six, top four manager. In fact, Everton obviously made a big play for him, were willing to pay a decent chunk of cash to try and get him out there. And in fact, Watford did blame that for kind of 
been the turning point in, in Silver's reign, Jack. You've been kind of very across Marco Silva from the, the day he set foot on English soil. What do you make of the, the whole thing? Um, it's quite, it feels like quite an interesting morality tale, basically. Like, Silva is such an ambitious manager who went to Watford quite openly with the goal of using it as a stepping stone to, you know, he, he thought he was in a... Sh- in, he thought he was in with a shout with Man- for the Manchester United job or the Chelsea job or Tottenham or Arsenal or any of those places. And the, like the first, the first whiff he got of the possibility of a pay rise, he couldn't stop himself from mm-hmm. uh, reaching for it. But in reaching for it, he's basically destabilised himself at Watford. Now finds himself, finds himself out of a job. Too honest. He's yeah. like to stay on his feet. Yeah. <laughs> in- do, do you think it's an interesting like? So you talk about the stepping stone club and yeah. Watford have. What, but I mean, Watford have made themselves a stepping stone club. You know, they're interesting because before City ever even experimented with the club network thing, Watford had done that first. Yeah. The Pozzo's ran that little trio of clubs. They've sold Granada now to the Chinese, but Udinese, Watford, and, and Granada, they ran them quite sensibly. They've got a great scouting network. They're yeah. much better than Watford would ever have otherwise. And it, you know, the turnover of players is high, and they do appear to have loads of random players from all over the world that you'd never expect. But. The whole point is they know that if they can bring players in on loan from Udinese who impress in the Premier League for a season, they can sell them on for much, much more money than anything else. Yeah. So they've made themselves a stepping stone club in the way that I think Southampton did as well. They sold themselves to players as, look, we'll get you in the Premier League. If you impress, you then get sold. But Watford dug their heels in on silver. And I feel it's kind of cost them. It, it, you know, you, People are blaming silver for being nakedly, overly ambitious. Mm. Watford dug their heels in when they've always been this sort of club who wanted to be the stepping stone. Southampton dug their heels in on Van Dyke when they've tried to make themselves a stepping stone. And then six months down the line, they sell him anyway. So there is, do you, as you think, almost a, a sense that if you're going to be that stepping stone club, you need to stick to that those guns. Yeah, well, everybody knows how it works. I mean, Marco Silva knows how it works. The Potsos know, knows how it works. They are a stepping stone club, but I think it's it's particularly contingent on the manager to maintain the delusion that, that it's it's not. Yeah, completely. It, like the, the, these whole football relies on the motivational power of the manager. Like you, you have to be able to con- you have to be able to convince the players that your idea is right and that they and that they like everything is dependent on your ability to kind of maintain that almost like kind of delusional sense of yeah. especially when your your playing style depends on 100% total commitment. And and I also think that it takes a very special manager to impose the force of will and also be like just good enough a coach to transition a team from being a stepping stone club to being above that, to being a, an achieving club, which is a, what I think Mauricio Pochettino has done at Spurs. Because when he arrived, they were really still the springboard from which top four clubs could buy players, you know, like Berbatov, etc., yeah. etc. Et now, look, he, they've managed to hold on to Ali, Kane, Ericsson, all these guys in, I guess Carl Walker's the one that did leave, but that was more of a, that was more of an issue between yeah, him so that's and the coach, like a set, right? That's like a separate and interesting debate about what Watford, Southampton, to a lesser extent Everton, can achieve. Like, can they, is there anywhere else for them to go, but where they are at the moment? Like, mm-hmm. can they, is there a kind of headland they can reach? Uh, and give themselves more stability and a chance to really like secure themselves in those kind of Europa League competitive slots. Because for the moment, and I think this is one of the reasons why you're right, those teams struggle to get any sense of stability is because there they're kind of seems like there's very little prospect of anything more than this every year. Yeah, Tottenham did start from a higher base than 
Everton or Southampton or you know any of those clubs yeah. started from. They they were quite clearly the sixth richest club in in the country, and so they've just kind of climbed a couple of places. Where Everton did look like they were going to come close, but again, the finances of football dictate that it's it's you you need a hundred things to go right, and if one thing goes wrong, you know as we've seen with Everton, you're kind of back in the heap. And that's the thing with Watford is things were going really right, and then they just fell off a cliff completely. They brought in a new coach already, Javi Gracia, which uh, for me, I think the rights are wrong, whether you think he's a good coach or not, based on what he did at Malaga and then in in Russia where it didn't go so well. At least they had a plan and had a guy ready and brought him in. What we saw with Stoke last week where they've sacked Mark Hughes, kind of, it wasn't obvious what their plan was, but then like say if plan A would go out, no, that didn't work. Plan B, Kike Sanchez-Flores, he decides to stay. Plan C, Martin O'Neill, he's tied himself in knots with the... Which one's... I can never remember which one. Is it the FAI? FAI. The FAI and the Irish FA is a Northern Ireland one. Um, so, like, they end up with Plan D, which is Paul Lambert, uh, which I think no one saw coming. <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, he looks to have given them a bit of a kick up the uh, the arse so far. So, it might work out for them. But Watford had a plan. They, they had a guy ready. They brought him in. Um Neither of you two have any real thoughts on Javi Gracia. I mean, do you know him? Have you met I, him? I've I've met him. Uh, he was at Malaga. Got some, you know. At Malaga are a club who remember they had all that investment from the Qataris. Got in the Champions League. Oh, yeah. Had that barnstormer of a game against Borussia Dortmund, which is one of the best Champions League games I've ever. Willie Caballero. Yeah, Willie Caballero, and then um, who was it? Felipe Santana scored. The, it was kind of end to end stoppage time goals all over. Brilliant, brilliant uh, knockout game which they unfortunately lost. That's the year Dortmund got to the final, isn't it? Lost to Bayern. 2013. Yeah, lost to Bayern. Um, yeah, Javi Gracia came over to London in 2014 in November and I took him to Palace 1, Sunderland 3 at Sellers Park. How did, how did that... How did, how A did dreadful it, game. Well, how did, it, how did it come about that you're taking Gracia to, to Sellers um, Park? I, I just got a text from someone who knew him who said that he was in London and would he want to do something? I think... There just weren't many people who spoke Spanish around, basically. It's one of those things where I kind of... I a guess play date. Ma- managers, yeah, but also, you know, I think everyone realises that there's a lot of money in the Premier League, so it's beneficial to know people here. And, uh, you know, in the end, I guess it was mildly interesting because you're going and watching it with a, a manager from a different league to see what it's like. And, and he was fairly unimpressed with the quality of it. Have I you think- ever seen a player like Scott Dan before? <laughs> the thing is you know what like there are a lot of players who are quite industrial and agricultural in the in the Spanish league you know there are there are crap players there as well but the technical quality of the average midfielder or whatever I think is much higher and the thing is here it was just long balls and it was a bad Sunderland team Connor Wickham was playing I think for Palace and it was you know that sort of you're watching that guy up front and it's and it's not necessarily what they're used to but the Premier League now is a, a little bit different to what it was in 2014. I think it has improved in terms of average quality of every team. Is that fair to yeah. say? Like the, the general quality is good, even if that mid-table clump that we're now looking at. So from 18th, Southampton are in the relegation zone. Southampton on 22 points. Watford are in 10th on 26. So four points separates a, a clump of kind of average-ish to good sides. Um I don't really want to go into all the results from all these mid-table no, well, teams because like, every week it just it's like, oh, that team's jumped up three places. The next week they lose, they fall back. But I uh, have devised a, a small game uh, for us to play so we can uh, probably touch on a few issues that need to. And it's um, 
It's called What's More Likely? So I need, to t I need you to tell me, and each of you obviously have an answer. It's fine. And feel free to show you're working because okay. it's important. What's more likely? Arsenal finish top four or Southampton sack Pellegrino before the season is out? Southampton sack Pellegrino. I think Arsenal, I think Arsenal finishing top four is incredibly unlikely uh, because the current top four and Tottenham are all better than Arsenal. Whereas Saints sacking Pellegrino I think is quite plausible if... If and but only if their Premier League safety is like obviously really in peril. Yeah, but there's no, I mean, there's no real reason to keep him, right? They only, they shouldn't really have sacked Claude Puel. Looking back on it, they only brought in Pellegrino because they thought he'd be more interesting, which he isn't. Uh, <laughs> and results have got worse, so I think it would be it's quite plausible they'd get rid of him. Eleven without a win, Johnny. You've uh, spent some time with Pellegrino. I like him. You like? Uh, I'm a big fan of him. I mean, as, as a human, uh, yeah, I, I think he's a, I think he's a really sensitive and, and smart guy he's actually more interesting than his father manuel <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's a good one and, uh, and obviously san pellegrino the uh you know the soft drink firm as well you know so it's so a very accomplished family the, the pellegrinos no I, I i i'm a big fan of his as a as an operator but the way this league goes if you're 18th you go essentially if you're if you're in relegation trouble with 12 games left you cannot expect to, to stay in a job and you're kind of lucky if you do. So I think it's possible that he does go before the end of the season. I think, it's, I think it is possible that Arsenal make top four. I'd say less than 50% though. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I was talking to some people from uh, Southampton, uh, the Fulham-Southampton FA Cup game. And they seem to think that the club really has a lot of faith in him. Like they really, really like him. They appreciate the results haven't been good. But there does seem to be a desire to kind of, like, even if they only just survive this year, like, they want to keep him because they can see that he's young and he's good, which I think is a good way of doing things. As you, I think your scenario is correct. Like, if they're really, really in danger, like, seven games to go and they're below the line, maybe they try and bring someone in for an impact. But who do you bring in at this point? Like Hughes, Mark Hughes, I don't know. Well, there's this old proverb that, that you don't become a bad manager overnight. And <laughs> where, where did that, what's the origin of that proverb? Phoenicians, maybe? Phoenicians, yeah. Sumerians. Uh, and I guess the way the, the speed at which the Premier League moves these days is that actually you kind of do become a bad manager <laughs> overnight. I mean, somebody like Marco Silva has clearly become a bad manager. I mean, it, there's nothing to say that he won't be a good manager somewhere else in six weeks' time, but that is how quickly these things change. Well, David Moyes has become a. Good, good manager, manager. Yeah, 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 you see, you yeah. know, successive failures and then suddenly he's great again. So that's how these things turn out. We had uh, Brighton nil, Chelsea four on Saturday lunchtime. Stoke to Huddersfield nil at 3pm. Only one point separates them. What's more likely, Huddersfield go down or Brighton go down? Huddersfield go down. I think Brighton to go down. Brighton have just spent, uh, I feel like this is their, their big gamble. Um, they've needed a striker all season. We're expecting them to sign a striker this month and they go out and spend like 13, 14 million club record on PSV youngster Jürgen Lucardia. This guy won't be fit till mid-February. 
and and kind of I feel like this their salvation rests on on his shoulders or on Glenn Murray probably scoring between seven and fifteen goals in the rest of the season. Huddersfield also probably need more goals, right? Yeah, I mean Huddersfield. I think David Wagner's doing a really good job because this Huddersfield squad is so obviously the worst squad in the league by distance. This combination of like foreign players that you s- still can't really remember who they've got, whether it's Colin Quayner or Florent Adagonage or Jonas Lossel, and then championship players like you know Ince, Williams. Um, yeah, to- Thomas Ince is, is one I've never... I, Whitehead, Dean Whitehead is still playing in the Premier League for Huddersfield Town. But... That it's kind of one of those things where they, you know, if they're well coached, like a lot of the Burnley players, you you might have said that about. But if if they're in a well coached unit, they can be made to look like Premier League players. They've punched above their weight, definitely, massively, yeah. So you you're kind of split on the Huddersfield Brighton thing. Well, I, th- I think Brighton are just aren't going to score enough goals, and they've needed more from Knockett this season. They've he's kind of been a real disappointment actually because I think so. he was the best player in the Championship by distance last year, and he's just not he's not done anything. He so, looks sparky when you watch them. He looks like he's got something to him, but there's no. He's not really produced much. It's all a little bit reminiscent of um, Chris Hughton's Norwich City. Like you can't. Like, I think in this day and age, in this league, you can't really stay up with one nils and nil nils. Like he's, he, they're a team built to try and keep clean sheets, but you need to be able to do more than that. I think to stay up in the prem these days. Slight mm-hmm. segue, um, just because you mentioned Norwich. You know, I used to like at Norwich. Darren Huckabee, loved him. Yeah. Um, Could I just? Uh, I mean, this this big um, gamble on on Lagardia. Yeah. The um you know, the the PSV player. It's kind of got all the, the makings of a just a, a massive, massive gamble. And and the two words that really spring to mind are Costas Metroglu, signing a signing a, a like a really expensive striker who's basically injured. I, I thought I thought Metro I remember that season, I remember they they signed him Metroglu in, in and I just thought, right, that's full him up. Because they've just signed a Champions League. Like he smashed loads in for Olympiacos, hadn't he, earlier yeah. that season. So you're thinking, right, this guy's banging in goals in the Champions League. No worries. Like, Fulham are going to survive. Uh, and the God of Goals, as was his amazing nickname, kind of came up an absolute disaster. He spent all his time um, enjoying London social life. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah, no, it, but it's uh, it's a problem. I, I think Fulham and West Ham had some problems signing players who also found that they uh, rather enjoyed uh, what London has to offer more than uh, putting in the effort. Uh want to just get myself in legal trouble there. Uh, what's more likely, Man United win the Champions League or Chelsea win the Champions League in a post-Sanchez world? You go first. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about this one. Um, uh, it's a really good question. Well, I thank think, you, Jack. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Uh, Chelsea, I think. Um, I, I just think they're a better team. They're a better team. They've got a, their top level is higher. Uh, on you know they they can produce very very good performances. Uh, I think they could probably do a better job against City over two legs, which is what it will take. It's going to come down to an English team against an English team yeah, in a big game at some point. I it's think we're looking forward. I think we can all get excited about the prospect of four English quarterfinalists and quite a few English semi-finalists. Conte versus Mourinho semi-final could be beautifully epic. Yeah, if yeah. this war of words just can, just rumbles on till like April, Conte against Mourinho in a, in a in a semi-final, there will be no cameras pointed at the pitch. <laughs> and also, Con- you know, living with Conte as well, it's because like it's kind of everyone knows he's probably leaving at the end of the season now. He will not give us stuff, um, and I think that could go up in flames. I mean, that, you're talking like who's the referee that they forced to retire? Tom Henning, Tom Henning. Yeah, and like the Anders Frisk stuff. 
we're talking like Tito Villanova, like eye gouging. I think we could be on that level of shithousery. Like it could go off in a huge way if there's a Champions League semi-final between those two teams. So I kind of do hope for the Man United versus Chelsea semi. But what was your... You, I'll, go, I'll go Chelsea because I think Chelsea could play three or four different ways. And I think Mourinho's United can only play one or two. And I think you need, you need that range. I'll speak on Miguel's behalf because I reckon he would say United here. Because as, as much as uh, he does criticise Mourinho a fair amount, but he ha- does have this kind of respect for his ability in knockout competitions. And he's mentioned it a couple of times that it wouldn't surprise him if United won the Champions League on this very podcast. Uh, okay, so we think United over Chelsea. Uh, what's more likely? Alan Pardew survives the season as West Brom manager. They're currently 19th uh, on 20 points. They're three points from safety. Or... Newcastle's takeover goes through. <laughs> Obviously, one of the storylines of the weekend, if people haven't been following it, is uh, Amanda Staveley, uh, her bid or supposed bid to, to buy Newcastle has been a, a point of contention, I guess. Ashley saying the money has never been enough. The, the, they, Staveley's people say the bid is still on the table. Mike Ashley's people say, yeah, the bid wasn't enough and never has been close to the asking price. So this is not a serious negotiation. Um, Newcastle had hoped that this would go through before the January transfer window. It's now definitely not going to go through before the end of January. Will it go through at all by the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, what's the statute of limitations on this? I mean, at some, at some point, somebody's going to have to produce some money, right. some actual money. Yeah. Uh, at what point does does somebody say like, well, it's, it's like when you you know when you owe your mate a fiver and go, no, I've got it, I've got it. It's like I just need to go to the cash point. Oh, I've forgotten my card. You know, it's just at home. It's under you know it's under it's under the sofa. Whatever. Somebody's somebody owes me a bit. At some point, you're just gonna have to produce some money, and and um, I, I'm I'm not sure at that stage yet. Um, I'm not an expert on either of these topics, so I'm. Well, just I mean, gonna... look, look, West Brom have got one win under Pardew. Well, they've, they've I mean, three they're... wins all season. Three wins from twenty-four games. You can't sack two managers in a. No, but I think. Oh, I, oh, I oh think but you can. can. I think you can. Remy Gard. <laughs> oh, you, you can, but it's just, but it's just such an admission, Bob Bradley, that you are Renny Mullenstein. Yeah. All managers who came in during a season were then subsequently sacked within that same season. I mean, all in teams who are relegated. Good knowledge. Just reel those off, by the way. Yeah, yeah um, that's pretty good. What do you think I spend all my day doing? <laughs> but I think that. Like if okay, you replace uh, Pulis with Pardew, fine. If that doesn't work out, if Pards doesn't work out, you're six games from the end. You're only three points off safety, and you, and you're not going anywhere. You've got to bin him and replace him with so like you've got Mark to use. You have to roll the dice. You've got to, you've got to choose someone else and like be like, I really hope this pays off because all we need is like a little lift and it could change everything. I mean, th- I, just... yeah, Mark Hughes is a great shout. I'm also willing to uh, go all in for Alex McLeish. Oh God! Well, you know what? I I spent a bit of time with Alex McLeish last year. I went to his house, and you know, and um, in Genk is it Genk? Was he? At? Oh no, he's not. In, no, he 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 left Genk, and then he went to Zamalek oh, in right. in Egypt, cool. and and came back from that because the that's uh, phenomenally cool, Zamalek. That's yeah, a very well, interesting he, club to be at. He's um he's willing to learn McLeish, and I, I this is the thing: you just kind of fall off the radar. He's not he's not done like anything disastrous. Really surprised he didn't get in the mix for that Rangers job. He's kind of got one foot out of the game now. It's, it's sad because he's he's achieved quite a lot. He did really well at Birmingham City. Did really well did at Birmingham okay, City. Okay at Villa. Well, what's happened at Villa since has kind Villa of Villa was a mess. Is it? It was a total mess. And I think what what Lambert what Lambert would say is that you know what's happened since then at Villa has kind of 
almost salvaged the reputation of the, the three guys who came before. I've never seen a manager who looked as broken as Paul Lambert in his late Villa days. Like he, the guy just looked like that job had destroyed him as a human being. He looked, he was, he was kind of like red faced. Uh, his eyes were like kind of, he was like dead behind the eyes almost. I think it is a, a big club with like huge expectations, and it really, when it was in free fall, because it's such a big club, the, the fall is heavy, really, really heavy. Aston Villa is the third rail of football management. If you're any kind of budding football coaches, managers, don't touch it. Just, just don't do it. If it, it I don't know why we're getting sidetracked onto Villa, but um, I do think with uh, relation to their local rivals, West Brom, who we were talking about. Um, West Brom, big trouble. Um, they're also one of these clubs who were like a kind of steady-ish mid-table side, got bought by foreign owners like Swansea and are now in, in the big doo-doo. And you do fear for what happens to them if they go down. In the way that Sunderland are what, bottom of the championship. Uh, so West Brom kind of, you know, if they, don't, if they stay up this season, you could easily see them play finishing 11th next year. But if they go down, then like the floor on where they could finish is pretty pretty damn low I think yeah and I, I think it, it I totally get that but there just comes a point where you have to stop changing managers every half a season it's not like like, like it's some sort of tinder date yeah no, I, all, all of the all of the clubs who also Pardew's still got a few years to go on that Newcastle contract yes it, so. um, it's oh, hey. 2020 is uh, when it expires um, because uh, when he signed that deal the eight-year deal. Extremely at normal footy guy. He, uh, <laughs> he uh, yeah, he's on it till 2020. And um, I did a, a stupid piece on what football might look like in 2020. And uh, obviously none of it's come true. But the fact that Newcastle were willing to sanction that is just an utterly bizarre thing. And also, remember, Graham Carr signed a parallel one. And he was he was supposed to be like the saviour of like, you know, he showed exactly how clubs should be run to sign all these cheap players from the French league and then went out and signed Gabriel Obertown and David Bellion or someone like that um, who, you know, was dreadful. So you said Pardew or Newcastle take over more likely? Oh, Pardew. You think Pardew survives? Uh, I think West Brom are in trouble. West Brom are in big trouble. Um, the final what's more likely I have is Paul Lambert is still Stoke manager on the first day of next season. Or Meza Ozil is still an Arsenal player on the first day of next season. Okay, well, I think I think Paul Lambert will be the Stoke manager on the first day of next season because I, I think they're actually dangerous words. I think they're too good to go down. I think they they have too much quality in that squad, and I think he'll get them to fifteenth or sixteenth or whatever. And at that point, it'll be tough to justify. They have to give it to yeah. Him. Give him, you know, give him at least two or three games of the, of the 2018-19 <laughs> season. Ozil, I think, I've been just talking to Wenger after the Palace game, and somebody asked her about Ozil. He said, "Well, you know, he's 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 not moving uh, at least until the end of the season, which is not exactly a resounding vote of confidence in his sticking power." But uh, yeah, I, I say Lambert over Ozil. Yeah, I think Ozil's plan is to go to the World Cup as a free agent, have a brilliant World Cup. And then hopefully get a big money offer, probably from an Italian team, maybe from Barcelona. Feels like Juve or Bayern or yeah, one, one of those the big guys. Spanish clubs. Maybe. I think I think he probably would have wanted Bayern, but now they've got James Rodriguez, it might be harder. But like you know, he's a great, he's a top player. 
He's still of a good age. He'll one be of those, free. I mean, he's free. One of those big clubs will come in for him. If they don't, then you know maybe he'll have to sign for two hundred k a week or whatever at Arsenal. But I'd be like, that's really far down his list of what he wants to do. Do you I, think I'm backing Lambo to uh, stick it out? Also, the, like the Stoke. One thing we've learned about the Stoke City board over the last like ten years, they're very risk averse. Mm-hmm. They like putting a lot of trust and faith in a manager who they know. Like uh, the the idea that they would, unless things go disastrously wrong, which I don't think they will. I'm sure they'd much rather stick with Lambert now they've got him rather than binning him after half a season to go and get some sort of sexier options from abroad. Yeah. Or Ray Winston. Or Ray Winston. They certainly didn't seem to want any sexy option from abroad in this search. You know, they were looking for... TK. But he had Premier League experience. He is quite sexy. Still sexy. sexy. He is. But, you know, like Gary Rowett and Martin O'Neill don't really pass the um, the sexy sniff test, if that's a thing. Uh, I don't I've, think it is a thing, no. I've never sniffed either of them. Um, so, if you're looking at Meza Özil, where do you think? Like, what club do you think he's most likely to be at at the start of next season, first day of next season? Inter Milan. Inter Milan. I like that. I would. I would love him to go to Napoli. Oh, playing sure in that, he's too in big that Sarri team. To go there, right? Of course he is. Of course he is. But you yeah, know, haven't got what what sort of romance is there? Long term replacement for Hamsik. Just you know, it works in my head. If not anywhere else. Do you remember? that next season so next year the transfer window closes the day before the season starts so any team that like starts the season badly like uh say like a stoke or a palace starts the season badly usually they kind of buy three crap players like umar nyas and diafra sacco on deadline day not possible next season so any manager who gets himself into trouble early could be the casualty themselves i think so we might see more sackings at the early part of next season so i I kind of agree with you guys. I think Lambert's more likely to be there, but I don't think Lambert will make it to Christmas. The evidence the last few years is that, like, f- care, sorry, firefighter managers who come in at Chris- around Christmas to keep the team up very, very rarely last more than a year. Like, there's the example of Sunderland for years or Swansea the last two years. If you, end- if you get someone at Christmas to keep you up, you'll probably have got rid of them by next Christmas. Shakespeare. Right, exactly. Like every Sunderland manager the last five years. Clement. Will Craig Shakespeare get another Premier League job, managerial job? Oh, God, no. I, I was going to say, you know, maybe, maybe in the championship, maybe head physio or something. But yeah, no, no, I don't think so. You'd give him a job if you were a Championship club. Possibly. I mean, probably not. It's why. I mean, was he that bad? At... I, I just if I if I was a Championship owner, I just want someone with more of a track record of being a manager. Mm. So, but I mean. So, like, assistants are just never going to get the chance to step up? Or do not you, you, you proven, think they have to go further down? Not they've proven that they're good at managing. Okay. So you'd rather have, like, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank? Like, a, like someone who's proven themselves in League 2, League 1? Yeah, or even better, abroad. Even better, abroad. Well, why, is it, why is abroad better than England? Uh, because they have a culture of educating coaches, which we don't have, and their young coaches in foreign countries take more of a thoughtful approach to a kind of broader like a, formulating a broader idea of what they want their team to do and how they're going to get them to do it than English managers do. So you're more of like a Daniel Farker than a Gary Rowett sort of guy? Uh, yes. Not for the first time. I make a point of never disagreeing with Jack when he's spot on. Well, what greater <laughs> what greater uh, commendation could you have than uh, Johnny completely agreeing with you? Uh, I think that's pretty much all we have time for this week. Although, you know what we should mention? 
is uh, international football. Uh, we know we usually say it's not very good, but this Wednesday is the UEFA Nations League draw. And uh, Johnny has been reading up all the rules. Johnny, what, what are the big things we can look out for in the UEFA Nations League draw this week? Of course, Wales have a new manager in Ryan Giggs. So very exciting for them. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a huge event. Not in terms of the fact that it's going to be exciting, just the fact that it's going to be really really long. Essentially, you've got fifty five teams into four leagues who are split into three pots or four pots in the lower leagues, and there's going to be a draw for each of those pots and each of those mini leagues, and the mini leagues then feed into playoffs, which then consequently feed into Euro 2020 qualifying groups where your qualifying record gets scrubbed but the seedings stay the same and I am slowly losing the will to live. So it's like a promote there's like a promotion relegation thing is there? Yeah so yeah. England and, and- uh, who are in pot two will go in a three-team group with let's say Germany from pot A and Croatia from pot C and they'll play a little three-team league I think you know home and away four games uh, top team goes through to the, the four-team you know, mm-hmm. final bracket and the bottom team gets relegated to League B. And it's to replace friendlies, supposedly to make the football in the international break more interesting and more competitive because it, there's such, something going to be actually riding on it rather than playing a friendly against Croatia, for example, half the team pulling out and Jake Livermore starting in midfield. Yeah, so now now you'll be able to play for something that is that has a name as opposed to and, and it's completely meaningless rather than... But there's a tangible benefit if it helps the qualifying? Well, no, on. it doesn't help the qualifying. It helps the seeding. No, it doesn't help the seeding. Right. Because what happens when, when it comes to the Euro 2020 qualifying is that they, they scrub all your records. They scrub, all the stuff from the Nations League, that's a completely separate tournament. And so you can conceivably lose all of your Nations League games, all of your Euro 2020 qualifying games. And because there's like a little four-team lottery at the end, you've still got a chance of qualifying. That is bizarre and possibly winning a toyota i mean literally it's it's that it's like a game show uh okay well uh, now you've had it explained uh you'll be i'm sure glued to the draw which is in the the fictional town of neon in switzerland <laughs> uh on wednesday uh i think yeah as i said it's about all we've got time for uh thank you to producer matt sat in the corner pulling his hair out um at Johnny's liberal use of curse words. Uh, Jack, thank you very much for coming in. You're welcome, today. I, I love it. Um, I love these podcasts. It's the highlight of my yeah, week. Thanks, Ed. No worries, no thanks. worries, guys. Uh, this weekend, a, a great trip, a double header for you in Wales. Um, so we look forward to hearing about your trip abroad next Monday. Johnny, are you going to be around next Monday? I think so, yeah. Yeah, well, why not? You know, uh, what, what game are you going to do this weekend? Uh, oh, Chelsea, I think. Chelsea-Newcastle in the Cup. It's a Cup weekend. It is. Uh, the magic of the FA Cup is back. I'm doing a big weekend in Wales. New, I mean, Newport against... Wasn't Wasp, listening bro. because I literally just... Uh, you, li- well, I'm oh, sorry. I was clearly wasn't listening because I, 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 I've just mentioned that. But anyway, uh, yes, as I say, good luck overseas. And uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're only listening on some sort of weird one-off basis. Um, and, you know, if you're really engaged, then you might as well go and rate and review this on iTunes because... Um, it just it makes everyone much happier and the world needs more happiness at this point in time so thank you for joining us I've been Ed Malley and this has been the Indie Football Podcast goodbye goodbye